All right, go ahead and open your Bibles to the book of Nahum. Uh, we got two more messages today and next week um, will be the last um, message in Nahum. One way to find it, maybe it's like turn to Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, and turn back 10 to 20 pages or so. It's one of those small books that kind of stick to the pages. It can be difficult to find. You know, tonight we have our Watch Tonight service. Uh, I don't know if we'll make it till midnight or not. Um, probably not, um, but we'll see. But we'll um, gather together. We're just going to have a singspiration. Um, sing some songs, and then also we got a sign-up list in the foyer for people to sign up to sing specials um, for any of the kids or the men to um, do a message, um, do like a five-minute message from the Bible. And, um, and then uh, our kids are also planning on doing a couple of skits, some plays, um, just short skits, just some um, funny ones, I think. And so um, it'll be tonight at 6 o'clock. And um, feel free to bring some finger foods, um, and we'll share after the service here, and we'll go next door and um, play games, and, and so feel free to bring some different games as well. I know we really had a good time at the family game night earlier this month, and so just special fun service tonight. Nahum chapter 2. He that dashed of in pieces is come up before thy face. Keep the munition, watch the way, make thy loins strong, fortify thy power mightily. For the Lord hath turned away the excellency of Jacob. It's the excellency of Israel, for the empty ears have emptied them out and marred their vine branches. The shield of his mighty men is made red. The valiant men are in scarlet. The chariot shall be with flaming torches in the day of his preparation. And the fir tree shall be terribly shaken. The chariot shall rage in the streets. They shall trestle one against another in the broad ways. They shall seem like torches. They shall run, shall run like the lightnings. He shall recount his worthies. They shall stumble in their walk. They shall make haste to the wall thereof. And the defense shall be prepared. The gates of the river shall be opened. And the palace shall be dissolved. And husband shall be led away captive. She shall be brought up, and her maid shall lead her as with the voice of doves, tabern upon their breasts. But Nineveh is of old, like a pool of water. Yet they shall flee away. Stand, stand, shall they cry. But none shall look back. Take ye the spoil of silver, Take the spoil of gold, for there is none end of the store and glory out of all the pleasant furniture. She is empty and void and waste, and the heart melted, and the knees smite together. And much pain is in all loins, and the faces of them all gather blackness. Where is the dwelling of the lions? And the feeding place of the young lions, where the lion, even the old lion, walked, and the lions whelped, and none made them afraid. The lion did tear in pieces enough for his whelps, 
and strangled for his, for his lioness, and filled his holes with prey, and his dens with raven. Behold, I am against thee, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will burn her chariots in the smoke, and the sword shall devour thy young lions, and I will cut off thy prey from the earth, and the voice of thy messengers shall no more be heard. Dear Heavenly Father, we just pray, Lord, that you would bless the declaration of your word this morning. Use it as you please. Use it to draw us closer to you, to bring conviction where conviction is needed and encouragement where encouragement is helpful. In Jesus' name, amen. You know this book is a book about judgment upon Nineveh, upon Assyria, for her brutality against Israel and really against all the nations around her. As we covered in the previous messages, they were ones of uh, most brutal, most brutal forms of execution. They would go into town um, and they would burn them down and, and then they would set their schools um, and stack them in the shape of pyramids. And uh, they would conquer those cities. And so God is telling them that judgment is coming to Nineveh. The same place where God was going to judge earlier. But then at the preaching of Jonah, the king brought the nation, called for the nation to come to repentance due to the preaching that came. And we see that God heard them and that they believe in the Lord. And God forgave them. And judgment was spared. But about a hundred years later, they per- continually got more wicked. And now God is announcing that judgment is going to come upon them. That the Lord have turned away the excellency of Jacob as the excellency of Israel. That God in His sovereignty chastised His children. But Nahum is a book of comfort because God gives a comparison that yes, that God has punished you. That God has chastened you. But that God is going to restore Israel and is going to um, bring discomfort to her enemies. That for the empty ears have emptied them out and marred their vine branches. These nations, they came in, they took, they took Israel in captivity, the, um, the Jewish people took them into captivity, um, just as the Babylonians did. But now judgment was going to come upon Nineveh. And that God would use other wicked nations to accomplish His will. That He would use the Babylonians, that He would use the Medes, um, Persia, Um, which is today, modern-day Iran. That God would use them, that God would send soldiers from them. That the shield of His mighty men is made red. The valiant men are in scarlet. The chariot shall be with flaming torches in the day of His preparation. The fir tree shall be terribly shaken. You know, it's commonly thought that that these shields... Um, is speaking of them being red for two reasons. 
One that they would often use copper on their shields, and archaeology um, confirms this, that they would use copper, and then many times when it would be beaming into sunlight, that it would shine as if it was red. And then it would make the armies to look even bigger than they really were. But also, it would be red from the bloodshed that would happen on these people that were enemies of God and His people. That the chariots would rage in the streets. That, that, that they would be overtaken by another military. And that there would be confusion that would happen about in Nineveh. Um, that they would run with torches and they would run with lightnings. And that we see that in verse 1 of this chapter, though, God mocks them and, and He says, Keep the munition washed away. Make thy loyal strong. Fortify thy power mightily. Nineveh was one of the most proud nations. <clears throat> and God is telling them, Okay, build that up. You know what? Get ready. Build your defense. Get your army ready. You know what? Usually, you know, a nation is at war. Sometimes they'll come in and they'll try to attack secretly. Catch the enemy by surprise. But here God, through His prophet Nahum, is telling them in advance. It's coming. Judgment is coming. Go ahead. Do everything you can to be ready. But no amount of readying was going to be able to get them ready. Talk about this morning on if God is against you, who can be for you? If God is against you, who can be for you? If God is against us, okay, and I'm speaking this generically, okay, you know what? It's God's children, you know what? God is for us, we'll talk about that. But when God is against someone, what is going to save them? What is going to be able to save Nineveh from this destruction? If God is against them, the Almighty, the Creator, no amount of weapons are going to be able to prepare for the day of battle against God. And as we see in Revelation, we see in Daniel, we see in Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Zechariah, that there are going to be armies that are going to prepare themselves to fight against the Lord when He returns on Mount Olives in Israel. But if God is against you, who can be for you? Whoever can be for you, it's not going to amount to anything. We see here with Nineveh in particular, it says the gates of the river shall be opened and the palace shall be dissolved. And history um, confirms that there was a flood of the Tigris River that happened, that the gates were opened, that the, the dams were broken, and the water came through. And that helped the Babylonians and the Medes um, to come through um, and, and come through their gates because of the flooding. And then they came, they took over the place, and they burned. The city with fire. Nineveh was known to be the one that did that. 
Nineveh was the one that would go from city to city, from village to village, and they would burn the cities down. Now, a flood would would overtake them, and then they would be burned down. And then, as the Bible talks about, it talks about the spoils that would be there. Assyria, they would go to other nations, take their spoils, take all their goods, take all their wealth. And that's in part why they were so wealthy. But in verse 9, it says, Take ye the spoil of silver, take the spoil of gold, for there is none in of the store and glory out of all the pleasant furniture. They had a lot. They had all the wealth. But it would be gone. She is empty and void and waste. And that's how they treated Israel. They left Israel waste and desolate. But now this would happen to them. And the heart melteth, and the knees might together, and much pain is in all the loins, and the faces of them all gather blackness. And you know what? They and his others, they see it. There would be fear, and there would be trembling. In verse 7, it says, And Husbub shall be led away captive. She shall be brought up, and her maid shall lead her as with the voice of doves, tapering upon their breasts. But Nineveh is of old like a pool of water, yet they shall flee away. Husbub is thought to be um, the goddess of Ishtar. It was the goddess of fertility that they would worship, that they would honor and glorify. And by the taking of that idol, it is showing that their god, their goddess, was powerless. That that which has eyes but sees not. It has ears but hears not. As Nineveh calls out to her goddess, her goddess doesn't hear. Her goddess can't respond. And her idol is destroyed, taken away. And then people would flee Nineveh as people would come in. As it says, they shall say, stand, stand, shall they cry. The Assyrians, they'd be like, stand, stand, stay strong. But they're running away. And they don't look back. They don't look back at what's going on. They're fleeing for their lives while they're hoping the city would be able to stand. Judgment comes upon this nation. In verse 11, it says, Where is the dwelling of the lions and the feeding place of the young lions where the lion, even the old lion, walked and the lions whelp, and none made them afraid. The lion did tear in pieces enough for its whelps, and strangled for its lionesses, and filled its holes with prey, and its dens with raven. Behold, I am against thee, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will burn her chariots in the smoke, and the sword shall devour thy young lions, And I will cut off thy prey from the earth, and the voice of thy messenger shall no more be heard. You see, much language talking about the lions. And that's intentional. 
Of course, that's what's written. Of course, it's intentional. But it, there is significance in that the lion was with whom the kings of Nineveh compared themselves. The lion symbolized strength and majesty. And the kings declared themselves to be much mightier than the lions. That they would actually go and hunt the lions. They would have lions from Africa, but they would also have lions ordered um, from Asia, from India. And they would have those lions come, and um, usually much smaller in stature than the African lion was. Um, and they, the kings would hunt the lions. They would release them from cages so the kings would be able to go out and shoot them with a bow and arrow and kill the lions. It was, the, it was considered a king's sport. A sport for, for the nobility. That they would be glorified. That they would be shown they were strong and mighty because they could kill the lions. It was one of Assyria's favorite animals. Not one to protect, but one to conquer. And even today, you could go to the British Museum. You know, in 1858-51, they discovered um, monuments, not monuments, but um, art, artifacts that showed the lions uh, um, being attacked by the Assyrian kings. Um, here's a picture of one of them, and you could search it up on, online. And th this is actually a picture of the same king at the time Nahum was being written. Um, the king, I can't even pronounce his name, Ashura Paula, um, or something like that. But this is a depiction of that king killing a lion. And, and that they would um, show their strength for the killing of lions. And so God here is comparing them to lions. That they had enough. They would tear in new pieces others. Other nations. They would tear them apart. They would devour them. Referring to them as the mighty lions. But that their prey would be taken away. That no longer would they be attacking others, but that they would be destroyed. That they would be destroyed with the sword. That their chariots would burn in smoke. And that even their young lions, their children, would be cut off. When the Lord is against you, what's that, well, what is anyone going to be able to do? Who can be for you? Nineveh stood no chance against an almighty and angry God. I don't think any of us seek to be on the side that God is against. That man, I want to be the people that, man, I oppose God. No, you wouldn't be in church today if that's what your purpose was. At least most likely would not be. But God is against. And the Bible mentions several different groups that God is against. In Psalm 34, I'm going to read a lot of these verses. Um, you can turn to them if you can, but just due to time's sake. I might just um, be reading them, but Psalm 34, verse 15 says, The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, 
And his ears are open unto their cry. Man, praise God that God is there. He listens to our cry. But he goes, the face of the Lord is against them that do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. Now in Nahum 3, in in chapter 3, the last verse, it says, For upon whom have not thy wickedness passed continually? You know, God is against them that do evil. Those that violate His law. God is against it. Those that do evil, God is against. Go ahead and turn to Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah 23 in verse 14. It says, I have seen also in the prophets of Jerusalem a horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen also the hands of evildoers, that none doth return from his wickedness. They are all of them unto me as Sodom and the inhabitants thereof as Gomorrah. He's seen these. And as it reads on, he talks about how he is against them. That God is against those that would be prophets, those that would be priests, those that would claim to be servants of God, but their life does not show it. Their life does not portray what they're preaching. That he is against these prophets because they commit adultery. Both physical and spiritual. They would be living a lifestyle of sin. But spiritual adultery that they would teach people contrary to the ways of the one true God. That they would walk in lies. They would teach lies. They would walk in those lies. And that they, they would not keep evil, for they would strengthen also the hands of the evildoers. You know, by a preacher not preaching the Word of God, preaching it truthfully, in a way, it emboldens people to continue to live in their sin. When there is people in churches around the globe, and there's no declaration, no firm preaching of God's Word. People end up being comfortable in their sin. They gather together to feel good. Maybe to be inspired. And there's nothing wrong with being inspired. The Word of God does inspire holy living. But it doesn't inspire wickedness. It doesn't inspire us to do evil. And God is against Those preachers that you'll sometimes see on TV that they don't challenge people in the Word of God. The only thing they challenge, really, any challenge they give is send them more money. That's about it for challenging. And they'll do it in some inspirational way when they do it. And really, that's unscriptural too. You know, 
The, the tithe belongs to the Lord, and we see that the local church in the Bible is the storehouse where we give our tithes to, not to some TV ministry somewhere down the world. Somewhere where they're not going to be able to be there for you like a pastor would be able to do when you're going through a time of struggle. God is against those preachers who walk contrary to the Lord and embolden people to be able to continue in evil. In verse 15, it says, Therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts concerning the prophets, Behold, I will feed them with wormwood and make them drink the water of Gal. For from the prophets of Jerusalem is profaneness gone forth into all the land. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Hearken not unto the words of the prophets that prophesy unto you. They make you vain. They speak a vision of their own heart and not out of the mouth of the Lord. And you know, you'll so often see those false preachers on TV saying, I'm going to give you a message from my heart. That's not a good thing. The Bible says the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? And here, they speak a vision of their own heart and not out of the mouth of the Lord. You know, there's TV churches around the area. They teach. They give motivational speeches. But they don't speak out of the mouth of the Lord. And that's where it's important. It's more important to be in a church that is going to preach the Word of God, that's going to say, thus saith the Lord, than it is to be in a church that seems to have every program for every group, for every age group, every type of group you can think of. It's more important to be in the church that is going to be willing to preach the Word. And the Bible talks about how mercy and truth kiss each other. That yes, we're to be a people of compassion, of showing grace, but we must preach the truth. Because there is no grace when truth is not preached. So read in verse 21. I have not sent these prophets... Yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel and had caused my people to hear my words, then they should have turned from their evil way and from the evil of their doings. Harry's holding these preachers accountable. He's one who says, I did not send them. If they had stood in my counsel, if they had stood in my word, then it would have kept my people from their evil ways. If there was the word of God to respond to, it would keep them from the evil of their doings. And he says this, May the fear of God come upon us. says, Am I a God at hand? Say of the Lord and not a God afar off. God is at hand. The God is nearby. That He is not like just some distant God that is out of touch, that is far away. He says, Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him? Say of the Lord. Do not I fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord? 
Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him? Man, to live by that truth. To understand that, you know what? We can't hide ourselves from God. We are not hidden from His sight. When we turn the computer on, no one else may be around. God is at hand. The things we do, people that people may cheat, God is at hand. No man can hide from God. You see in Revelation that many of the nations will be crying. They'll try to hide themselves in the cliffs and ask for the rocks to fall upon them that they would rather die than to face God. We know we still face God at death. No one can hide from God. Verse 29. It says, It's not my word like is a fire. He doesn't say, My word is like a flowery message. My word is as flowers. A nice garden bed of flowers. No, the Bible actually says, that the grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but my word shall not pass away. My word shall endure forever. And he compares his word to a fire. That it burns. You see, Jesus, when he was walking with two of his disciples, before they even knew that they were walking next to him, that when he quoted Scripture, they said, do not our hearts burn within. They're burning with the message. He says, And Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces, therefore, behold, I am against the prophet, saith the Lord, that steal my words, every one from his neighbor. Instead of preaching the truth, they would preach lies. They were stealing God's Word from their neighbor. And one thing to consider, thing I get convicted about, that we maybe aren't trying to go and preach lies to people, but are we hiding the truth from our neighbor? Have we not spoken to our neighbor about the Lord? Maybe we could make a bread, make a dessert, bring it over, talk to them, build a relationship with them. You know, no, I haven't built enough of a relationship with neighbor. We got we got neighbors that are new that move in. They move in while we were in the intense stage of remodeling. And I lost sight. I was just lost focus. Will you pray for me that I don't hide the truth from our neighbors? Would that be the same for all of us? God is against if we steal His words from our neighbors. He goes, Behold, I am against a prophet, say of the Lord, that use their tongues and say, He saith. When that's not what he said. 
Behold, I am against them that prophesy false dreams, say of the Lord, and do tell them and cause my people to err by their lies and by their lightness. Yet I sent them not, nor commanded them, therefore they shall not profit this people at all, say of the Lord. And when this priest or the prophet or priest shall ask thee, saying, What is the burden of the Lord? Thou shalt then say unto him, What burden? I will even forsake you, say of the Lord. So he sees that he's against the false prophets, one, for their lies, two, for their lightness. The messages were light. And never brought about conviction. Jeremiah had been preaching that judgment was coming. And these false prophets said, no, there's going to be peace. You know, that's what we like to hear. We like to hear there's going to be peace. We like to hear there's going to be good things. I like to hear that. Okay? You know, when we see the world in turmoil, you know what? I'd rather it be like, there is peace. But there is not always peace. And when God says there isn't peace, that judgment is coming, what the preacher should have been doing was preaching against the sin, preaching for people to return to the Lord. To return a new God. Because when we return a new God, then we're able to have peace no matter what kind of outward trouble we may go through. And so we see that God is against the false prophets for being light in their messages. Go ahead and turn to Ezekiel 33. Ezekiel 33, in verse 3. It says, If when he have seen. It's not who I was talking to. <laughs> I wrote the wrong verse down. How did I do that? See here, 33. See if I meant 32. You know, I wrote the wrong scripture down. But we see in Ezekiel somewhere. And you can search the scripture, see where the things are so. But Edom was against Israel. And God says that I am against thee. And the reason God was against them was because of their hatred of the children of Israel. That is why God was against them. Because of their hatred for the children of Israel. We see in the time coming when all nations will be gathered against Israel that Christ will come down Destroy them by the word of his mouth. He is against those 
that are against his children. Jeremiah 50. And this is one of the things that from what I've read, what I've seen, is something that God most often speaks about being against a particular people. Jeremiah 50, verse 31. It says, Behold, I am against thee, O thou most proud, saith the Lord God of hosts, for thy day is come, the time that I will visit thee, and the most proud shall stumble and fall, and none shall raise him up, and I will kindle a fire in his cities, and it shall devour all round about him. It's one of those sins that oftentimes Christians overlook, and it is pride. That God is against the proud. God is against the prideful. Go ahead, turn to Ezekiel in verse or chapter 29. In verse 3. It says, Speak and say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, the great dragon that lieth in the midst of his rivers, which have said, My river is mine own, and I have made it for myself. And then, in verse 9, And the land of Egypt shall be desolate and waste, and they shall know that I am the Lord, because he hath said, The river is mine, and I have made it. Behold, therefore, I am against thee and against thy rivers, and I will make the land of Egypt utterly waste and desolate from the tower of Cyrene even to the border of Ethiopia. In verse 13, it says, Yet thus saith the Lord God, At the end of forty years will I gather the Egyptians from the people whither they were scattered. And I will bring again the captivity of Egypt and will cause them to return into the land of Paphros, into the land of their habitation, and they shall be there a base kingdom. It shall be the basis of the kingdoms. Neither shall it assault itself any more above the nations, for I will diminish them that they shall no more rule over the nations." Look at what's destroyed many great nations. Superpowers. It was pride. Here we see the Pharaoh. Okay, at the time early on in Egyptian history, the Pharaohs would be considered God. They would worship them as God. A little bit later on, they started to be more as the representation, um, representation between God and man. But in this, Pharaoh ended up coming back and saying, here's my river, I made it. The Nile River. The Pharaoh was like, I made it. This is mine. Egypt's king, full of pride. And God says, I will make you desolate. Assyria, 
full of pride. They thought they were mightier than the lions. Mightier than any other nation. And God brought them down, and they were no more. With Egypt, God tells them, you know what? After you've been dispersed for 40 years, I'll bring you back. You'll be a nation again. Egypt will abide, but you will be a base kingdom. You will be amongst the bases of kingdoms. And no more will the world look up to you. You know, Egypt today. Oh, they got the cool pyramids people like to go see. But they're not a superpower at all militarily. They're not a superpower economically. Just like God said would happen. They're just a little base, small nation now. The world doesn't pay much attention to anymore. And you see, they had pride. You see that they had hatred for God's people Israel. And you see that they love their evil. They love their false gods. You know, a lot of times we think of Sodom and Gomorrah, and we think of that as being a city full of homosexuality. And indeed it was. But you know what? Ezekiel 16 turned back there. It didn't start with that. So Ezekiel 16 in verse 49. Behold, there was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. He's going to talk about the sin of Sodom. And it says in verse 49, pride. Pride. Fullness of bread and abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. And they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore I took them away as I saw good. Sodom, you know what? Before it was homosexuality, it was pride. Their haughty spirit. James 4, 6 says, But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resist of the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. God resists the proud. If God is against us, what good is anything else going to do? If God is against us, what good is it? We can't fight against God. And we see that God resists the proud. If God is against us, who could be for us? Proverbs 16.18 says, Pride goeth before destruction, and in haughty spirit before a fall. Another nation, Babylon, world superpower, gone. Pride goeth before destruction, and haughty spirit before a fall. Jesus said, But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. And he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. Proverbs 8.13 says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogancy in the evil way, and the froward mouth do I hate. 
See how many times that pride in some form is mentioned? Fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Colon. Pride and arrogancy and the evil way and a forward mouth do I hate. God is against the proud. He's against the pride in Christians. He's against the proud. Go ahead and turn to Romans 8. We see with Nineveh, Assyria, that they, comparing themselves amongst the lions, proud, the judgment would come upon them. But he also said in the book of Nahum that the Lord is a stronghold in the day of trouble. That the Lord is good. And that's why Nahum, a book of judgment, is a comfort to God's people. You know, at Romans 8, in verse 28, it says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren, Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Now first talking about if God is against us, who could be for us? It doesn't matter who could be for us if God's against us. But if God be for us, who can be against us? We see that all things work together for good to them that love God, who are called according to His purpose. Who could come against us? He says, He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God to justify Him. You know, if God be for us, who can be against us? God's elect. God's chosen people. Those that are in Christ. If God is for us, who could be against us? Who could lay any charge against God so what? Go to Revelation 12, and we're almost done. Revelation 12. Revelation 12, verse 10. It says, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. 
And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that draw in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil has come down unto you having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. Satan, that great dragon, is called an accuser of the brethren. That he accuses the brethren. That he wants to point out their flaws. Point out their faults. To bring about their sin. We see with the man Job. A righteous man. In Job 1 verse 9. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he have on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now and touch all that he have and he will curse thee to thy face. Satan's an accuser of the brethren. You know what? I would want one make us think, you know what? We don't want to be on his team. We don't want to be an accuser of the brethren. We don't want to be about judging one another and just always accusing one another and gossiping about each other. That's Satan's team. God's against that. Let's not be a part of the accuser of the brethren. But Satan is an accuser of the brethren. We see he did it with Job. We see in Revelation he calls him the accuser of the brethren. But again... If God be for us, who can be against us? Yes, Satan is against us. But what will it amount to? If we continue to walk in the Spirit and God is for us. You see, it says, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's what? It is God that justifies. You know what? It is God that justifies. It is God that declares one to be righteous. It is God that is the judge. Satan's not the judge. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's that evil prosecutor. But it's not going to amount to anything. Because it's not that God is just the ambassador or the advocate. We see Jesus is our advocate. Okay? Jesus is our attorney, so to speak. He represents us between God and man. And we see that God the Father, through Jesus Christ the Son, is also the judge. And so who shall lay anything to charge? Who can lay anything against God's elect? Who could lay anything against us when God is for us? That we have the mediator. Jesus Christ, and that we have God is our judge. Who is he that condemneth? Bible says. It is Christ that died and rose again and intercedes for us. Bible says, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God is for us. He's not against us. He didn't come to condemn. We are already condemned when we're without Christ. It says, He that believeth on Him is not condemned, but he that believeth not on Him, uh, believeth not, is condemned already, because he have not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. But once we're in Christ, once we believe, 
You know, whatever you face in life, you don't need to let it cause you fret. If God is for us, who can be against us? Let's read Romans 8 here and we'll be done. Romans 8 and verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? You know, you think about, you know, family abandonment, friends, you know, whatever. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or pearl or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Man, if God's against us, then who could be for us? But if God is for us, who can be against us? Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Are you going through financial trouble? Man, it stinks, doesn't it? But it doesn't separate you from the love of Christ. You don't need wealth to get to heaven, praise God. It was Jesus that died for us. Satan accuses the brethren. He wants to bring us down. He is a, is a roaring wagon seeking whom he may devour. But if God be for us, who can be against us? You know, as you go out these doors today, you know what? Live in victory in this new year. Don't live in guilt. Don't live in guilt of things in the past, even sin in the past. Sure, there's regret about it, but you no longer need to live in guilt if you've confessed it to the Lord and Christ is the one that um, condemns us not. It is Christ that died and rose again. It is God that justifies. And if God declares us righteous, then so be it. We are righteous in Jesus Christ. We don't need to live in guilt. We don't need to live in guilt of the mistakes we made this past year. We can live in victory in this new year. That, to know that God is for us. God is good. Bible says the Lord is good. A stronghold in the day of trouble. When hardships come, whether you're in them now or they come in the future or you just came out of one, God is our refuge. He is our stronghold. He's the one we could cling to when we're lonely. When we're down, we're depressed. Call upon the Lord. Make your request made known unto God with thanksgiving. God is for us. God is for you. No one could be against you. They could try, but it won't amount to anything. And so as you go out this morning, just trust in that, that God is good. 
And if God is for us, no one could be against us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, just thank you, Lord, for your word that no one really could be against us when you are for us. But a fearful thing it is when, God, you're against a nation, when you're against a people that have forsaken you, have continued in evil. It's a fearful thing you fall in the hands of an angry God, the living God. But when there's redemption in Christ, we're able to have the peace that passes all understanding, and we thank you for that peace. We thank you, God, that you are for us, that you are for your children. We pray, Lord, that you will show us great and mighty things this next year and the years to come. That, Lord, you would enable us to continue to be preaching your truth. That we won't be as the false prophets where they just give a message of lightness. But to be people that preach substance and the people that enjoys taking in substance. A people that is willing to hear your word. Pray, Lord, that if there's any sheep that are scattered, that they would come back into the fold. To be, perhaps there's people in churches around the area that is not truly a Bible-preaching church. Pray, Lord, that you would bring them here where they would hear the word of God. But help us, Lord, to go into the highways, the hedges, to reach the lost, those that don't know you at all, that they might be saved. Thank you for being for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Tonight, watch night service, 6 o'clock. Bring games, finger foods, and you know there's sign-up ways if you want to sign up in advance of things you want to participate in tonight. God bless you. Shake hands, fellowship, be friendly.